Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Gene Signorini, and I'm excited for today's episode. Today's guest has a passion for leading people, change management, and driving and evangelizing programs. Throughout her career, she has demonstrated excellence in program and project management, technology implementations, employee experience, and end-user productivity. She currently serves as Senior Manager of Professional Services for SoftChoice. Please welcome to the program, Kayla Thorpe. Kayla, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Gene. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm really excited for this topic. I know your um, you know, change management has been a theme for us on the Frontline Innovators podcast because it is one of those ongoing uh challenges that organizations face when they when you know implementing new technology solutions and i know that's your specialty and i know our audience is dealing with that every day so i uh, can't wait to to have this conversation but i always want to kick it off we always love to kick it off with kind of an overarching question you know again we're focused really on frontline workforces because i think it's it's largely an overlooked segment of the worker population uh, and organizations when it comes to technology change and technology adoption. So I'd love to get your perspective on what you see as the biggest challenge facing the frontline and deskless workforce today. Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, some of what we're seeing now is sort of fallout from COVID too, and having to really quickly transition a lot of a lot of our customers especially had to make really quick technology decisions during COVID to enable people to work in different places than they normally worked. And then kind of bringing people back in. And a lot of the, I think a lot of the frontline workers were some of the first people to come back into, and, and some of them never left. You know, if we think of factory workers, those kinds of folks never certainly weren't work, working remotely. But making quick technology changes at the start of COVID and then another set of quick changes to bring people back into those offices or factories and things like that. And I think we're still dealing with a lot of the challenges that came with those really quick transitions. And the number one thing is that now a lot of people are realizing we've kind of overlooked this population of people, the population of end users, and we realize that they need more than what they perhaps needed in the past because we've made really quick decisions and now the our frontline workers are kind of over here going, hey, what about us? And I think that's probably one of the biggest kind of lead-ins to what we're seeing when we're getting our frontline worker projects come in where, where change is a challenge or where adopting some new solution has, has not gone well over the last three years. So we're seeing a lot of remediation kind of work right now. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I definitely think that, you know, that we've, we've talked a lot on this program in the past um, about this, this pace of change. And I think you're right. I think, you know, certainly the pandemic kind of accelerated a lot of that 
um, you know, for, for good and bad, right? I do think there were good things that came out of it, right? Companies were probably forced to do things that they should have done, you know, from a technology and an innovation perspective, you know, maybe years before they were and and finally they said, okay, well, then we've got to bite the bullet and do it at the same time that that is overwhelming for users. Right. And, and talk a little bit about that and, and, you know, your perspective and how you work with customers and, and, and talking to the, maybe some of the decision makers in helping them understand the downstream impact, right. That they may not perceive as a big deal, right. Yeah. But is, Hey, are you aware that this could be a big change to your customer? Do you, do you, ever, is, is that something you have to remind customers about? Is it something that they take to heart? I'm just interested in, in your take on that. Yeah. Great question. And absolutely. It's something that I find that we, we have to remind a lot of our customers. Now we have we at, at SoftChoice, we cover customers across all kinds of sectors and sizes. So some of our large enterprise customers are coming to us with entire change teams who are really on it. They know what's needed. Maybe they just need some supplemental support through change, et cetera. But there's two, two avenues. And I just really quickly want to touch on the business maker decision here because the quick decisions that came with COVID Let's take a really simple example where we're enabling people to connect to our network outside of our buildings or outside of our secure network. So for example, with a frontline worker, maybe they're now going to be able to access some tool from their cell phone from anywhere. And then the organization says, we need to implement security policies to ensure that this doesn't go awry. And they're doing something as simple as implementing an MFA or multi-factor authentication solution. So when we think about the business decision makers, they know they have to do this, but when they come to us at SoftChoice and we're in the kind of pre-implementation phase, our job and we are reminding our customers is even something as small as MFA is a big change for a frontline worker. And if they don't know how to use it, they don't know how to set it up on their phone or they don't know how to do it on their iPad, they aren't going to be able to access the tool that they need to. Had one customer, I'll share kind of an anecdote here, I guess, um, one customer this year who needed their frontline factory workers, actual factory workers with three different shifts. They were implementing an HR tool. Um, I don't remember which one, but they're implementing an HR tool that allowed employees to access just HR policies, documentation, what's my time off policy, all of that kind of stuff. And they had three shifts of people. None of them have devices. And they're asking these users to use their personal cell phones to sign into their network solution, whatever that looked like. And we're over here saying, well, how are you going to communicate to these people? Because they don't have, there's no other way to do any of that. And so that's that's a huge topic for us. It comes up all the time. And, and it can be a really simple change like MFA that can really disrupt the users from being able to come in and actually do their job. So we see from the decision makers at our customers who are saying, okay, we rolled this out really, really quickly during COVID. It didn't go very well for us, but we knew we had to do it. And we're not consuming or utilizing that solution. So we're not getting the actual return on the investment that we've made in this technical solution. 
And it's something as simple as MFA, but the users don't know how to do it. They don't know how to set it up. And they were never even communicated that this change was coming. So we have both sides to look at in kind of the seat that I sit in. And then from the end user or frontline worker perspective, yeah, all the time. I've even walked in, I, I'll, I'll probably use this example more than once when I talk with you, but I've gone into customer sites before and started talking with end users and ICs who have no idea that the change was even made because they're not sitting in front of a desk. They don't get email. They don't talk to people. You know, may, they might be working a third shift anyway. Yeah, no, I, it, it, this is all, it, it's, it rings so true. I mean, you know, the, the, I, I think it's a great example, right? The, the multi-factor authentication, just the, the, the ability to sign in or log in, authenticate, you know, it's one of those things which seems like a small detail, but becomes a big inhibitor. Yeah. It's something we've seen, you know, at Skillful that we, we've we've experienced firsthand, right? I mean, and part of the challenge, like you said, you know, e even where users have company-issued devices, right? So whether it's a, a delivery worker or a warehouse worker, in many cases, they don't have corporate email, right? right? Or they don't have text messaging enabled on the device, right? It, and so it's locked down from text messaging and other things. So all of a sudden... Now you've said, oh, yeah, we didn't quite think about that part of it. Right. Um, and and that's just the, that's just starting to get into the app. Forget about training on the application itself or the system. It's just, hey, we've hit the, the, the very first possible barrier we could have hit. We've hit now for adoption. And that's just getting into the system. I think exactly. it's a perfect example of, of things that are often overlooked, but which have a massive impact downstream. And, and, and just creates, I'm sure the other thing you get, you know, b beside the bewilderment, right. Of you showing up to the end, <laughs> like you just described and saying, wait, why are you here? What are you doing? Right. I've never even heard of this thing. Right. Is, is probably frustration on the other end. Right. Which is your, your users are just extraordinarily frustrated. It's like, I can't even get into this thing. Forget about trying to use it. I, I don't even know how to get into it. Exactly. And honestly, the number one thing that's going to frustrate a frontline worker and end user is simply not being aware of something. And, and we, we all face that, you know, you walk into work on a Monday morning and there's some new change that's dropped into your lap. And we have the ability in front of a desk and a laptop to reboot our machines and do what we need to do and then get into our work day. And we have the time to do that. A frontline worker may not. Um, they might not have the time. They get to their shift and they need to step out and do whatever they need to do. They don't have time to install a new app on their phone or be working through these issues. And half of them probably don't even know how to contact the help desk because the help desk is typically supporting our knowledge workers and not necessarily the frontline workers. Yeah, and they may not have somebody right next to them. Right. To ask, hey, say, what the heck is going on? Right. They, they don't have that. Right. They're on the aisle on an island. I think that's, uh, uh, you know, a, an absolute astute observation. Um, I want to get back. You, you mentioned Soft Choice, which is your organization. I'm sure there's folks uh, listening. I wasn't familiar when we first met. Um, so I'd love you to, to just um, give a brief rundown of, of what Soft Choice is, what, what you guys do and what your role is at, at the organization. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Thanks for that. So uh, Soft Choice is a, a pretty unique organization to be at because we are both a solutions and a services provider. So we can support our customers and our clients in licensing, hardware, but also services. And I happen to sit in our professional services side of, side of the house, which is where our adoption and change management folks are. 
Um, but at the root of the organization, kind of our, our ultimate goal is just to make sure that our customers and clients can really be agile, can can go out and do, do innovative work. Our job, if we're doing it right, is to get in and help with both solution and services for technical implementations and make sure that not only our customers are making smart decisions about their technology investments, but that they're actually able to, to recoup some of those investments and see that really come to fruition. Um, what else do I wanna tell you about soft choice? Um, I, I think our ultimate goal, and we do follow typically the ROI framework, which is kind of reduce, optimize and innovate. Um, our goal is to make sure that the end users and all of the folks at our customers are seeing the value and the benefit of all of those technical solutions. Um, so there was a second part to that question. I think I might. Your, well, what, your role a little bit. I think you touched on a little sure. bit what you do, but but talk a little bit about your data. Like, so how do you help your customers? You know, what does that kind of entail? Yeah, great question. I have the luxury of now sitting in a leadership seat, so I'm not in the door every day with our customers the way our adoption consultants aren't are, are to this day. Um, so I have a little bit of a unique position. I sit a little bit in um, people leading, but then also a lot of our pre-sales and um, pre-implementation kind of support kind of falls onto my desk right now. So I get to get in the door before we have projects or statements of work that are even in flight or signed and hear what our customer challenges are and what they're looking at. And then I also get to, to be in the room with those customers and ask the questions like, so you're rolling out MFA. I'll stick with that very simple example. You're rolling out, you know, single sign-on or MFA. How do you plan to communicate to those, those end users or what have you done in the past? I get to ask those really great questions when I'm pulled in in the, in the pre-implementation side of it, which is pretty fun. Um, we currently have a full team of, of adoption consultants, business consultants, and then we also have a training team uh, because we do a lot of end user, white glove, train the trainer kind of stuff with our customers as well. That is all related to technology adoption for end users is our kind of primary focus and change right now. Okay. So I think it's a great segue um, to a question that I, that was percolating in my mind. You, you mentioned earlier this notion that, um, you know, some of the customers you work with have sophisticated change management, you know, organization, OCM, organizational change management functions within the, within the company. And some don't. Um, right. And you're part of the kind of the, hey, the pre-sales, right? You're kind of going in, you're talking to customers about what they may need to support right there, um, these initiatives that um, they're they're looking to, to implement. What is the receptivity, right, of your of your customers, right? Are, is it split around, you know, is it that the companies with sophisticated OCM practices they say, no, we get why you're here. We, we love it. We're here. Or do they say, hey, we've got this under control. And then the others that don't have anything, are they like deer in the headlights and have no idea what the heck you're talking about? I, I'd love that perspective because we've seen that. I've seen that and customers we've dealt with, which is it's all over the map. Right. And, and I'd just love to get your perspective on it. Yeah, great question. I think I have to give you a little bit of like historical context here. So I started in change management before change management was even a thing. Um, I happened to be in a role 
Um, and we actually called it the productivity center at a technology company. And our focus was really just to make sure that every, let's say, for example, we're changing from at the time it was, you know, I'll date myself a little bit, but Windows Vista to, you know, Windows 7 or whatever we were translating or migrating to. Um, and our team was there to really help all of those internal users adopt that new change in software. And that was before user adoption was ever really talked about or was kind of even a, a topic of conversation. And then so over the last 20 years, I've really got to sit and watch the evolution. And what that I, I think what we're starting to see now in the climate of change management is, yes, we have traditional OCM organizational change management. We're really focusing on all kinds of things, culture, um, the, the, you know, realigning to vision, mission at an organization, making sure that all of our strategic direction is in line with what individual teams are doing, all of that kind of stuff. But we've also still seen this kind of niche of or niche of um, technology user adoption, which is a little different for me than just pure change management. And what what I think we're really starting to see and do really well and where and I will say this is where I think soft choice really shines or I can I can tell my own team here that they are really, really good at this stuff is understanding the full technical implementation from start to finish so that we know where to insert those change efforts into the technology work that we're doing. So one more little piece of context on that is that I also happen to have, as an example, on my team, we have SharePoint engineering and workplace security engineering. And it seems a little wonky that they all three sit together. But what that means is when my change management consultants are coming in for, let's use the, the example of a Skype to Teams transition, or we're moving from some legacy telephony solution to Teams Voice as our new telephony solution. Our adoption consultants get to sit alongside the engineers and the architects who are doing that work. So we've learned really, really, a lot of my consultants and, and, and I think it's, it's kind of moving in this direction, are really pretty technical folks. They're really, maybe they don't know how to implement and all of that and that's just fine but they understand where the changes are happening in the technical implementation work that allows them to really make sure that our change effort is timed well and we're getting the right things. You know, something as simple as communication messaging being tied to the actual um, deployment schedule is really, really important and we need to know those things. And so I think that's what, what we're seeing in technology user adoption is a little bit of this departure. So I say all of that to say that when you get in with large enterprise organizations who maybe do have an OCM team, there's still a lot of value that can be added by pulling in technology user adoption consultants too, or some kind of work if they don't have them. And what I hear from every customer, every company that I talk to ever across the board is, a bandwidth constraint. They might have an entire OCM team and not have the cycles to pick up this little tiny IT project and be able to actually influence the success of that adoption. So even those customers, even with really robust change programs and, and change organizations in place, still may not have this unique niche of technology user adoption, which is where I think we play a lot of. 
Um, go back to your original question for me, though, because I know there was multiple parts of that. Yeah, and no, th this is good. I I'll come back. There was a second part, but I want to dive in a little bit on what you talked about, because I think it's it, it's really a great, great insight, um, which is this distinction that is arriving, arising, maybe a sub segment of change management, which is around the, the digital technical adoption, right? Um, and I think you raised some some great great points. I mean, I've, we've had multiple conversations around change management. There's a lot of conversation around effective communication. We know all, and, and that is, I think, self evident to anybody who understands change management. But I think having that technical perspective and expertise is a, an important layer there that is often overlooked. Even going back to the the MFA example, right, that you talked about at the beginning, right, which is in order to kind of anticipate where the the stumbling blocks may be, right, along that path toward change, right, right. you kind of have to be able to ask the right questions, right, or know where those potential uh, pitfalls or hurdles can come in, right, which is like, okay, well, what, what kind of devices are your people using, right, how do they typically log in, like all those questions, which... You know, folks who, you know, are in technology kind of know to ask. But, you know, if you're coming from a, a different perspective in change management, you might not know to ask. And so, I, you know, I think it's a really, really great point that you make. The other thing is, you know, I'd love to, to get your perspective on, are you seeing more roles internally that are focused on, you know, among your customers, meaning internal to your customers that are focused on the kind of digital or, you know, uh, technology adoption piece. I've seen, it's really interesting. I've seen some job postings pop up now, you know, uh, which is great for companies like Skillful is, you know, we're seeing companies saying, no, we've got dedicated roles now. We're, we're tasking people with making yeah. sure that the, the technology that we're putting out there is being used correctly and we've got the right tooling and all that to make it happen. Are you starting to see that? I mean, you guys make that distinction of soft choice because I think you're probably a bit ahead of the curve, but I'm wondering, you know, are you seeing some of that now migrate internal to organizations? You know, that's a really good question. And I haven't really um, kind of focused on what I'm hearing from customers as to what they're doing. Um, I would say that I have not met with a customer over the last few years once where they have dedicated technology change folks or maybe a change resource sitting in IT or mm -hmm. in a different, usually our change folks are either sitting in their own kind of OCM org or lumped in with, with other pieces of the business, not usually IT. So not once have I met with one of our customers who has a technology user adoption focus change person. There are a lot of roles out there. Um, and, and we started to see, and I think the distinction here is a lot of times those are called user adoption and not change management. Yep. And that, you know, we kind of, when, when we went through a branding exercise, we kind of married the two at soft choice because we knew this was the niche we wanted to kind of play in at that time. And this was a few years ago, but um, no, I'm not seeing a lot of customers. I wouldn't say we're ahead of the curve. I think they're probably just sliding into other names or other definitions of what that looks like, but it's hugely important to know. And, and like, you know, we, you talked about devices and that's such a great example. It, and it's even questions like, okay, so your end users have phones, right? Your end users have handheld devices. 
okay, are they Android, Apple, iPhone, whatever, what are those devices? What's the number of iPhone versus Android users? Because the way we interact with Android and iPhone devices can be very different depending on whatever, you know, app or tool they're trying to log into on those phones. And that requires two different approaches to how they adopt that technology. Even something as simple as two different trainings or two different quick reference cards that show the user, you know, click here, click here, that kind of thing. So devices is a huge question. I'm glad you kind of mentioned that. It's I, I had a couple of years in a role where we were very focused on devices and it was some of the most fun work that I've done. It's really challenging in a lot of ways and, and, and just provides a great opportunity to work in a different way. But devices is huge. You, you can't just know that our end users maybe have these three different types of laptops, probably all running on Windows, maybe. We also have an entire population of people with laptops that are Macs. That changes the game. But when we talk about frontline workers, it's not it's not enough to know what hardware we've issued. We also have to know what hardware they're using, it, whether it's BYOD or something we've actually issued to them. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you mentioned this. So I, I just want to follow up on a, a on something you just said and and make sure I kind of understand it. Do you see a distinction between change management and user adoption? Is user adoption a subsegment of change management? Um, what's your perspective on it? Not yet. I think that we're starting and and uh, you know in full disclosure, I probably you probably keep up more on kind of what's happening in the market or what kind of is you know the really innovative leading edge kind of stuff than I do. Um, it just in preparation for your podcast, I'm sure, and you hear from all kinds of folks. I think we're not quite there yet, but I would really. I, so you know, we we have change management methodology, and we still follow all that methodology. Um, you know, a lot of folks know the ProSci methodology. We follow that in our change programs as well. But as far as kind of this subset of just technical user adoption, I think we're still getting there. I'd like to see like specific programming, mm. specific certification, or, you know, even college programs, because now we have change management in, tech, in in college program university, but take that one step further into something like an MIS or CIS degree where we're building change or technical adoption into their coursework as well. I don't think we're there yet. So I don't think our, I could be wrong, and I don't know that our customers are there yet. And I think that's where organizations like SoftChoice can really play really well because we have both the engineering and architect of the solution. And we have these folks coming and delivering the change and they all work together and collaborate together, which is a really beautiful place to be. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that concept of, hey, you know, should there be a different approach or certification or coursework around technology user adoption is, is, is a really interesting point, you know, and it's, it makes me think about is where does that responsibility lie? We've seen it. I know personally, I've seen it in, yes, we've had customers with, you know, OCM practices who take ownership of that. We've seen some organizations where there is a segment of learning and development that's focused on technology training and adoption. We've seen it also residing in IT. Right. Yeah. Which is like, you know, and it's and like you said, it's when it's in IT, it's typically not a dedicated function. Right. right. Just like when it's in OCM, it's not a dedicated function. Right. Um, and and so a lot of the people don't necessarily have the 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 right the, the right understanding or the tool, the tools toolkit 
right? Both uh, you know, the 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 um, the the know-how, but also maybe even the right technical tools that they may need to ensure adoption. So I think it's a it's a really interesting point that says, hey, listen, this should be, you know, it, it's it's its own kind of subdiscipline that probably needs a bit more, you know, structure around it, right? Yeah, and um, I think I think we're getting there. I think we're starting to see more and more folks focusing just on technology user adoption. But like you mentioned, oftentimes that person might sit in L and D or in IT. They're probably pulling multiple. You know, they're they're doing double duty in some way, shape, or form. The other challenge for organizations is it's kind of an overhead role, right? It's hard to show the value of user adoption in dollars as it stands. It's hard to show the ROI on a great change program in technology adoption. It's even harder to show the value of having that role internally. It's really, I understand from the customer perspective or the business perspective of why it's hard to show the value. And again, that's where we're coming in saying, hey, you're rolling out MFA. Aren't you going to tell your people? Like, what's what's your plan here? And and then our customers go, oh my gosh, you're right. We need to communicate this somehow and, and get it out there. So um, one thing that I do, I'll, I'll just touch on this really briefly. And what I really love, and we haven't gotten into this yet, but when we talk about pre-implementation or pre-change or any of the stuff that we do before we get to actually rolling out a new technology or software solution is actually pulling in the right people in the right times. And it can't just be IT. It can't just be L&D. And it can't just be HR. Um, when we're meeting with customers, a lot of times in our stakeholder engagement type work that we do, we want to meet with all of those folks because we will find that HR has this strategic directive, IT has this, and then we've got other teams that influence that. Maybe we have an L&D team or an OCM team, but all of those people coming in together are going to have different priorities, different success criteria. They're all looking at different things. IT is looking at maybe the financials of this change HR is looking at how does this impact our people and they all have similar but different goals. And so we're, we're coming in to pull all those groups together, which is where if a company is going to do technology user adoption as a subset of something else or hire for that role, the key is really, it doesn't matter where the person sits, but the key is to bring all those groups together so that we can align on whatever the success kind of looks like. What does good look like for this project? And what are our different drivers? We have to get all of those people in play. And so it doesn't really matter where people sit as long as they have the ability to get buy-in and engagement from those other business units too. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it really is a, there's this, you know, cross-functional requirement, right? Um, with any, any large initiative, right? Whether it's a tech initiative or, or not, right? And I think that's, that's the, origin of having uh, change management, either an internal function or someone like you to help them gu guide them, right? Is that, listen, it's, it's really, it, it crosses the boundaries of, of, you know, kind of tradition, the traditional silos within organizations in, in many cases. Um, the other piece, going back to that original question, I, that was the second half of it was, you know, organizations that don't have an OCM practice right and and don't necessarily have sophistication around that are there hurdles specific hurdles in number one 
helping those customers understand like the value of it, like saying, Kayla, why the heck are you in the room? Why do I need you? Right. Yeah. To help us out. Right. What, wait, what do you do? Right. Yeah. Um, is there a hurdle there or is there like, thank goodness you're here, Kayla. Like we have no way we know we need this, but we don't have the, we don't, we just don't have it. Right. So I, I love that because I, I know there are a lot of companies out there that do not have the um the formal OCM uh functions in their in their organizations. Yeah. And 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 again, you know, we're supporting customers that are 50 users to 500,000 and and you know, all kind of across the business. And I can I can almost always bet that a 50 user organization or a small TSD, you know, 250 or whatever they're probably not going to have a big change team. They might have one or two IT staff, but they probably don't have 50. Um, and so, no, they certainly probably don't have those resources in-house. And so to answer your question, I hear both. I hear both customers coming in saying, why do we need this? I don't think we need it. This is a cost that I can't take on right now or sell me on why we need to do this. We've done this a hundred times and you know, people either figure it out or they don't. And so there is some hard sell and, and not, and it's not even from a sales perspective, it's, it's helping that organization understand the value of adding an even small change plan into whatever they're trying to do. Um, sometimes they're also not seeing that return on their investment for six months or a year or two years down the road. The change the return on investment in change is hard to quantify quickly without data. So sometimes we have really good data. Sometimes we don't. Depends on what we're doing. If we have really good data, we can go back to the customer three weeks after implementation and say, yes, you know, we've hit this criteria, this, this, and this. But let's say something as small as MFA. We don't have data on that. We're not going to know if it's working or not working. We're just going to have to talk to our people. Then on the flip side, yeah, I meet with some customers who will, you know, will start talking and will they'll they'll bring up challenges or I'll ask really creative questions and I almost never ask what's your plan for change. I very rarely ask do you have change management people. My questions are usually what kinds of questions are coming into your frontline support people? What what are the top two, top 10 help desk tickets that you get? And I bet you seven out of 10 of them are probably user experience questions or user issues that aren't necessarily technical support questions. Um, so, the, you know, asking creative questions. So sometimes our customers, the people I'm talking to, yeah, they're coming in saying, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I want everything that you're talking about. Let's do it all and we'll do a huge change program with them. And sometimes I have customers who will come in and say, we don't need this. This is not beneficial to our people. Um, one customer that, that we worked with that I mentioned earlier this year, um, huge, huge number of factory workers. And and that, there. let's say for, I, I wanna say there was something like, 27 sites, so 27 different factories all over North America, Canada, and or US, Canada, and in Mexico. And so when we start talking about change with this organization, they literally have one IT director and a very small IT staff, which is shocking to me for as, the number of employees that they have. And that IT director is going, we don't, you know, why do we do this? We don't need this, any of that kind of stuff. And I asked a couple of questions and the light bulb kind of turned on for him. I said, that's awesome. How do you plan to communicate to your third shift frontline workers? Do you have supervisors in the factories 
do they have kiosks? Do they have email? Nope, they don't have email. Nope, there's no supervisors. You know, the supervisors are there, but they're not, you know, they can't take time off the floor to be training people, any of that. Ask one question and the light bulb goes on. Oh, shoot, we really aren't prepared for 27 sites of three shifts of frontline workers to simply, and MFA is a perfect example again, I hate to keep using that, but to simply get MFA on their mobile devices or the iPads and they aren't corporate managed devices. So we can't push some of this out yet. We can't, we can't force users with single sign-on until, you know, there's lots of kind of legwork in there. But so to answer your question again, yeah, I, I hear both. I hear this is totally pointless. We don't need this. I'm not spending money on this. Our users will figure it out. It'll be fine. And then I hear the other end too, which is everything you've said is amazing. We want it all. Absolutely. Let's do it. And then of course, everywhere in between. Um, more often than not, budget is a huge impact into that, but culture is also huge. And it depends who we're talking to. If I've got just IT folks in the room who are focused only on the budget and the investment of this change, they may not have the authority or the budget in IT to spend on change planning and change programs. But if you get some of the HR folks in the room or operations folks in the room and we start talking about the impact to people, that's when some of those light bulbs turn on and then we can kind of creatively manage this across different business units. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I, if if you don't mind, I'd love to dig in a little bit on the because I think you raise a great point, which is it's really hard to 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 quantify the value of effective adoption or effective change. And very often, I'm sure you've encountered right. It's an afterthought. So budgets have been set. Hey, we've got the project budget. We've been planning on this for three years. We've got everything, you know, in place. And now it's like, oh, oh, yeah, we yes. OK, we need this. Yeah, we've got about training. Yep. Yep. Okay, now how do we pay for it? So how do you guide customers through that, understanding the value of it? And I'm, I'm sure it might be different customer to customer. You met, you alluded to the fact is, hey, sometimes we have good data, sometimes we don't. Um, what are just some of the ways, though, that you kind of begin to approach it with customers saying, okay, here's how we can look at this, right, to justify it or to say, this is going to save you money, right, or save you xyz over time just take take me through a little bit of that because i think that's really an important element to this whole concept yeah that's a it's a really interesting topic and it's a challenge that i still face to this day after 20 years in this this you know in and out but mostly 20 years in this side of side of technology or it um i still struggle with quantifying it to customers now there's data out there that you can you know and, and there's gartner research and all of that kind of stuff and you can sure throw out those numbers and that i think one of the most common stats is like 85% of technology projects fail without adoption or whatever those those numbers are but what i find when you're meeting with people is humans are humans people are people i can throw those numbers at people and sometimes they stick sometimes it resonates with folks so I actually, instead of even bothering trying to quantify with data, the value that adoption or change projects bring to any implementation or any change, whether it's technical or otherwise, rather than trying to give numbers and give data, um, I usually approach it from the human and the people perspective. And I start to ask creative questions. So in fairness, I'll say that it's a challenge for 
me, even at this stage of the game, to really give quantifiable numbers. Now, we can do sometimes what we do in, in how we're executing change projects with technical work is we will work in the preliminary discovery stages to identify success criteria. And then we do have the ability, if we can identify that and we have the data, depends on the solution that we're implementing, whether we're going to get data or not out of the user adoption. But if we can get the data, we can sure work with that organization to say, okay, here's where you're at today. We identified your success criteria is, you know, 70% adoption of say Teams Voice. You're only at 42%. Here's our recommendations for remediating that, that kind of thing. In that pre-sales stage, however, or in the lead-in stage with your customers before they've even committed to doing work with, let's say, you know, in my case, soft choice, but even before that commitment's been made, I ask, I, I prefer to ask questions of them rather than, I, I, I guess I'll kind of walk this one back and say, in some, rather than me showing up to customer calls with this big flash presentation of all the amazing things that change management can do, my approach is really to ask and get to know those customers so that we are designing or giving them a custom solution that really fits their needs. So I'm when I'm meeting with customers, I'm usually not going in with slides and data and, and that quantifiable, here's what you can expect. All those numbers are out there. Instead, what I'm kind of going in with is, okay, Mr. Customer, tell me more about and then we'll talk about what what was your last change? What was the last IT project you did? Tell me about that one. Okay, what went well? And they'll tell you, you know, maybe it came in under budget or it was on time or kind of the, those normal project metrics we're looking at. But then I'll say, okay, what didn't go well? And talk to me about what kinds of calls came into the help desk or talk to me about what you're hearing when you walked around the factory and you hear from the end users or, or office space too. What kind of feedback are they giving you? And then in that pre-sales stage, I don't have to give them numbers. They're going to start to tell me all of their problems. Our customers, I think across the board, people are not shy to tell you what they don't like about something or tell you what failed or what didn't go well. And once you start to hear some of that, it's, it's an easier conversation to talk about, here's how user adoption can directly impact that experience that you talked about. So give you a quick example. Uh, if I ask a customer that question, what didn't go well in your last change? They'll say, uh, as an example, uh, everyone got super angry. Everyone was really annoyed, really frustrated. And now they're all still using the old solution, which is what we call shadow IT. And so we'll say, totally common. We hear that all the time, Mr. or Mrs. Customer. We know that this is this is across the board. This is what happens. If users can't figure out how to use the new solution, they'll go do something else, right? So what we can do to head that off is A, B, and C, and I'll start to add value into their problems in a solution way. Rather than giving numbers and data and quantifying, which I find to be really challenging, I'd rather align user adoption strategy or change strategy into their existing problems makes it more meaningful for them too. And then I'm also able to better to, to better align the solution or the proposed solution to their actual needs. And it's not a, a cookie cutter approach all the time. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, it's, it's a great approach. Um, and one that I've, I've seen work as well. Right. And, you know, it's really interesting. I think when you, there are some people who've gone through the pain of, of previous technology implementations and have gone through, unfortunately, a, a massive failure. 
right? Yeah. And and are determined not to go down that path again, right? That's the yeah. that's probably the easy people are coming to it and say, listen, we we know we need this because the last time we did this was a disaster. Um, and very often a lot of projects stem out of a, a previously failed project, right? It's like, well, we're doing this because we're doing it again because the last technology we rolled out wasn't a fit for us or it, you know, it just didn't, didn't work. And now we know what we didn't know before. Right. And, and we're going to yeah. fix it. Um, so I absolutely think that's the right route. The other thing that you mentioned, I think was what are your expectations, right? What are your goals and objectives? And I remember back, if I remember back to one of Skillful's first, very first customers, you know, it was in a, in a, a conversation we had with them and their change management team, which is, well, what is your, what's your target adoption? rate right what is it and it said well everyone ultimately has to use this right it yeah. was a, an applicant field applicant delivery application right it was mandatory but they said realistically we feel we'll probably get to 80 yeah. percent right and then the people who can't adopt there's going to be a segment that that can't adopt and they may not be here anymore, right i mean it's yeah. you, they have to use it but then you can start backing in even to the, some of that roi discussion say okay well what happens if you only achieve 60 percent adoption what are the implications to the business, the operations? And they said, well, you know, X amount of dollars is transacted on this application a day, right? Yeah. So if we, you know, fall 20, you know, 20% short of our goal, then this is the dollar amount that's associated with that. And it, you know, it's, it's almost just having that, that conversation allows them to kind of build their own ROI and says, maybe things they hadn't gone down that exercise before, but it's all of a sudden it's just a couple of questions and they're at a point where they say, okay, this this is this is meaning really meaningful, right? This is really impactful if we don't get this right. And I yeah. think a lot of companies don't don't do that or they make the assumption that, oh, we'll get there. We'll get to that adoption number we want to eventually. It's like, well, what if you don't what if you get there in a month's time versus three months time? What is exactly. that? What's that implication for you? Right. And and so I, I think you're you're dead on with that, which is it's just a matter of kind of walking the customer through and asking a few questions that ultimately can surface the surface the 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 need, the value there that's that's underlying it. So and I think you articulated it kind of better than I did. And, you know, no surprise and thanks for that. But I think at the end of the day, our customers don't necessarily need numbers that I'm going to give them anyway, it's best for us to understand what their, what, what does good look like to them? What are their targets? And then let's dive into that. What's the, the cost kind of the opportunity cost, or what are we leaving on the table? If this takes three months instead of, or six months instead of three, there's a cost to that, that, that change taking longer than, and then we also can go into this there are times when 100% user adoption is mandatory. So mm -hmm. again, we'll use the silly MFA example. And if we ever do this again, let's come up with some other examples. But <laughs> the um, with MFA and end user devices, if it's BYOD or corporate company issued devices, doesn't matter. If they can't sign into MFA and can't access the tool that they're trying to get to, or their credentials don't work on their, you know, a lot of organizations have an alias and a full email address, and, and most users don't know which one is their Active Directory account and which one isn't, right? They can't get into the tool. We're, we're dead on arrival. We, we're, it's a non-starter. So basically, we need MFA 100% successfully adopted in order for this 
this project to actually be successful, even if there's 10 other things after MFA. So I can say to a customer, yeah, we shoot for 85% user adoption, or that's kind of our top success criteria. We can kind of bank on 85 right away and drop down to 70% later on. But with something like that, I'm going into the customer saying, we don't have, we 100% is our target and we aren't satisfied unless we hit 100%. And there are going to be some detractors. We know that there are going to be some challenges that we're going to encounter. Let's rely on our expertise of the last 20 years of projects we've done like this. And we'll tell you what you're going to run into. I'll tell you, you're going to have users who do this. You're going to have users who do this. Here's how we head that off. And oh, by the way, we're going to do that with great change projects. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's really interesting, you know, you talk about the MFA, we talk about this MFA example, right? Which is, it's kind of like a black or white. It's kind of a binary, right? You can do it or you can't do it, right? You can get in or you can't. But often, and when we talk, and this goes about the the concept of adoption, well, what does that mean, right? So I think you mentioned earlier, like uh, customers implementing a new HR tool, right? So I'm sure within that HR tool, right, there are yeah. dozens and dozens of things, right, that a user can do within that, either are required to do, to use, or maybe optional. So yeah. adoption, you know, you could look at adoption saying, okay, yeah, they you know, 80% of, of our user base or 90% of user base are using our HR tool. But the question then becomes is, are they using it correctly, right? Are they using all the, all the things, all the functionality that they can be using in that tool? So how and do you kind of go down that path, which is, you know, that to me is the tricky, what is really true adoption mean? Or you know, what, it, you know, and, and that's probably goes back to that question is, well, you know, what do you expect them to do? What's required? And then what do you would, what's the nice to have if you see other people using these, this other functionality? Teams is a perfect example, right? There's tons of yeah. things you can do in teams, right? Yep. And most people probably use 10% of, of what you can do with teams, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so this is a great topic. And uh, I obviously got really excited because I kind of started to jump in there on you, but um. <laughs> Uh, so I'll, I'll use two different scenarios. Um, we'll use, and what we're talking about here is data versus no data. And, and what, what kind of data can we get? And what do we do if we have data? What do we do if we don't have data, right? And so the first example, let's take a legacy, a customer is moving from a legacy phone solution to Teams voice um, or, or whatever voice tool people want to use, but we'll, we'll use Teams for today. So in this case, we may not, what we what we expect to see is on launch day, we are taking away um, whatever legacy solution we have, and we're going to roll out Teams Voice and it's soft phone only. So people don't have devices on their desks. Factory workers will probably have some common area devices, if that term is familiar with you, where mm -hmm. maybe there's a phone in the lobby or the phones in the break rooms. Those are kind of considered common area devices. So we probably aren't going to know if what the data looks like from the old solution to the new solution. The data that we can get out of like Teams admin and reports and things like that, yes, we can see that people are using it. We really can't tell if they're using it the way we want them to from that kind of data. Or, you know, is it um, is it that some of our employees have figured out that they can do international calling from these Teams common area devices and it's free to them. So we're kind of, we're using it in for unintended purposes. That's kind of a nefarious example, but it happens and it's kind of common with people, right? So not a lot of data that we're going to get from that kind of implementation to know whether or not people are actually consuming the tool. 
in that case, we have a different direction of how we want to go about the adoption or how we want to remediate that. What we do have, though, are times when we have really great data. Maybe we're deploying a technology or a piece of software that does user kind of kind of user analytics for us and drills down really deep. So, for example, in Teams, I can go look at reports and tell you that 80% of people are using Teams for calling, but only 20% of people are using Teams for IM. And if only 20% of people are using Teams for IM, I my first question is what else are they using? Because we know they're using something else. Are they using Slack or are they using whatever Skype or whatever legacy tool they used to have? Who knows, but they're using something. So let's figure that out. Um, and then our approach to that kind of data allows us to really drill down into specific user groups. So sometimes it's black and white, sometimes we get the data and sometimes we don't. A Skype to Teams transition is super great for data because we know Skype's gonna go down and we know Teams is gonna go up and I get data for both tools. So if we see that not happening, then we go and figure out why isn't this working, what's going on and we solve the problem. But when we don't have the data, I just want to call out that we have to talk to the users then. We have to know from the frontline workers, what are they doing? Are, do they know how to use the common area devices? We have to talk to those people because we're not going to get data out of that system that's going to actually tell us whether they're using the tool how we want them to. Yeah, and I think, I think that's the key, right? Is that there's there's almost there's layers to it. Right. And there's different kind of steps. Right. And and I, you know, I loved how you kind of talked about that is like, hey, listen, you know, first things we want to see is, you know, are they making that transition from, you know, either an existing tool to a new one or in some cases, you know, they may be going from a paper process to uh, to yeah. a completely digital process. Right. So, OK, they're that's kind of step one. Right. Are they in? Are they you know, are they able to get in? Are they able to use it? Are they? And then the next step is, OK well, how deeply are they using it? Right. And how comfortable are they? Which is the, is, is that other, is that other piece of it too, I think, which is, do they have a comfort level where they're now using it more and more over time? And I think you're right. I think, you know, and, and, you know, mo you know, in some cases, like you said, there's that visibility into the usage, right. In some systems there are, and some systems there aren't. And I think increasingly, it's something and maybe, you know, I wonder, maybe you could talk about this a little bit is, you know, and I know you're dealing a lot with Microsoft products, which probably have a lot of this built in. Right. But, you know, how do you talk to customers about, OK, here's, you know, here's the other thing we need to think about is how are we going to measure this? How are we going to measure this using analytics or data that we can capture? Right. Yeah. And there's there, there's a lot of trends when you when you start to look at the data. <clears throat> And I, I'm a little bit of a data junkie. So if I can get data, I want it. I want to, but but what I, I also want to know is, and I'll use the, the, the hypothetical scenario again, that we're trans transitioning from Skype to Teams for all workloads. I know that I am in Skype and calling in Skype and conference calling in Skype is going to go down if we're doing our job right. And IT is going to want that because we no longer want to pay for Skype licensing. We don't want to pay for for dial-in audio conferencing with Skype. And this is a little bit of an old example for the people who are listening, who are going to kind of point that out. That, that we are we are mostly in in our sector, kind of past the Skype to Teams, but we're we're still there some days. 
So then what we're talking about is seeing those Skype workloads go down, which is easy to translate back to the business of a, a return or a cost. You know, they, they can recoup some of that expense. And then we're going to have a cutover date, right? Like Skype is going to be turned off on some date and then they will have to use Teams. But if I can get into the data, which sometimes we can, and we can see um, that subgroups of users, maybe everybody in IT is at 90% in all workloads of Teams. But then we find out that like, gosh, all of our marketing folks or all of our finance folks are still using some other solution, then it's easy to go to those groups and go, what are you doing? Why are you using this? What's what's the challenge with Teams? Why are we still using the old solution? Give me some feedback. So that kind of data can be really helpful if we can actually drill down into business units. I would love for somebody to develop and create an analytics tool for just change management and user adoption. So if there's any super awesome innovators out there who want to go do that. I'd love to see like one tool that could kind of branch across other and integrate with other uh, larger kind of tools that we use would be really cool. <laughs> shout out to shout out to the innovators out there. I, yeah. I, 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 the um, yeah. Um, so uh, before we wrap up, Kayla, I'd love to kind of get your perspective having done this for, like you said, close on 20 years, I think, right, you know, in, in a technology change and, and adoption, what are the things that when companies don't do it the right way, right, when yeah. you've seen failures, what are kind of the, the top two or three things that companies do or don't do that kind of leads to failed adoption or failed implementations? Yeah, great question. So I think some of the, well, there's a lot of things they're not doing if if technology adoption is completely flopped. And um, some of the things that that we see is just just kind of lack of planning or lack of integration. Um, we also know that there's just a total lack of communication. And especially with frontline workers, you know, we know it, it's pretty easy to communicate to a desk worker. They've they've got email, they've got um, an intranet that they go to, they've got, you know, Yammer or whatever whatever other tools that they're getting communication from. Maybe they're attending all-in calls or, you know, people leader calls and those kinds of things. Our frontline workers are usually not getting any of that stuff. They might get an email, but how many of our frontline workers are going to sit down and digest an email, especially if it comes from IT? We know that they're getting, you know, all these IT emails. Well, so or they're stand or if they're doing stand-ups, you may have 50 to 100 sites and or a couple hundred supervisors out there and each you, how do you know that they're communicating it the same way to everybody right versus uh you know all hands stand up you know that your your desk you know uh your in office people are attending where everybody's on the same call right yeah and and that's really easy we know what's what's we know that all of the people on that call are going to get the messaging yeah. we could we can do trickle down messaging from executive to all the way down to ICs that all that kind of stuff is really easy but can we rely on our frontline supervisors to communicate those messages? That's the tricky part and, and yep. make sure that they're, they're giving the right information too. So that's its own little initiative. But um, to, to kind of go back to answer your question, I think, um, I think some of the things that people forget is to engage end users or frontline workers in the pre-implementation pre stage so that we're getting some 
kind of boots on the ground support and engagement is really, really important. I think a lot of people focus for a long time on getting executive support, executive buy-in, which is really important as well. But but we fail to talk to the end users. And so I think if, if organizations are small, don't have a lot of spend or big investment, and they want to do one thing and one thing only, it's talk to the end users, get some get some champions or power users, whatever companies want to call it, get them on board. Then you've got, and, and selectively choose those people at different factories and different shifts or different plants or whatever we're talking about, different stores. Make sure that you're getting a group of people across the business and start communicating to them before you even get to the point of implementing. That that sort of, um, and I'm trying to think of a great phrase for it, but that like water cooler knowledge transfer is so actually effective. And, and if we can if we can sort of plant some of that water cooler knowledge transfer, whereby, you know, Gene, you and I run into each other in the break room and I say, oh my gosh, what's this thing that just popped up on my phone? And you already know about it and you've already been brought in by IT as a, a power user, you're already a champion, you're already using it, now you're helping me. And we can head off frustration, we can head off problems, all of that. So I think the most important thing that I would kind of like people to start doing more of is engaging users before we even decide on the new solution. Find out what's not working in their current solution. They'll tell you, get that, that feedback and then let these, these end users test the solution before we roll it out to the whole organization. If you take 20 people and let them test a new solution, you're gonna get more feedback out of it than you will out of the 100,000 people you'll roll out in two years because all of that feedback is gonna go to the support desk and get lost in tickets or complaints to their coworkers or managers or whatever. But if you get those 20 people kind of boots on the ground engaged early, you're gonna get really good feedback that will influence how you implement the rest of the project or the rest of the organization. So that's a big one for me. Of course, communication plans kind of number one. If, if, if anytime a customer comes and asks me, hey, I only have, I've got $2,000, what, what, what can you do with me? I'll say, we just need to focus on comms and making sure that people are getting the information at the very least. Um, and then active leadership engagement is, is really, really critical. And we're seeing that more and more that change is being passed off to different subunits or maybe it's HR or L&D or, or whatever. But if we don't have executive support and not just I champion this, but actually involved in the project in some way, it will hinder some of that success. And I, I, I could go on. There's probably 20 different yeah, things. And I, and I imagine when it comes to frontline operations, and, and this has been my experience at least, is that when you talk about that executive support, it's not just, you know, um, you know, HR, or IT support, right? It's, it's those operations leaders, right? That need to be really engaged and involved in that. Yep, for sure. And um, t tons of little things that organizations might just miss is we can't just train people in one way. And I know you've had lots of L&D folks on your podcast, and so I won't talk too much about adult learning or any of that kind of stuff. I'll, I'll leave that to those folks. But um, a, lo a, lot of, a lot of what we used to do in the past was we would create a training program of some kind, and it would be, you know, some live instructor-led training that's probably got a PowerPoint to it, and there's some demos and things like that. And that works for a large majority of people, but it certainly doesn't work for frontline workers. It's certainly not going to work for their supervisors. And then we have 
20 other personas at, at any given time that come into play. And so customizing the plan for individual either organization business units or personas are kind of based on their use cases is is really, really important. We we don't we can't just train one way for the entire organization. That is just not working in, in today's climate. Yeah. I and well I think that's a great way to conclude the the program. I know, you know, certainly from Skillful's perspective, we're, you know, a hundred percent simpatico on that. Um but Kayla, this has been a wonderful conversation. Really appreciate your perspective and and thank you for coming on the show. So thanks for joining us and uh, and really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun for me, kind of energizes and lights me up. So I'm really happy to be here and, and happy to come back anytime. Well, your enthusiasm is, is certainly palpable. So um, I'm sure everybody's going to appreciate it. So again, thank you. And, uh, and we'll wrap it up here. Uh, and for folks listening, I hope you found this conversation with Kayla as enjoyable and informative as I have. Um, I'd like, again, to thank her for coming on the show. And thank you, our listeners, for your continued engagement uh, with the podcast. With that in mind, we welcome your ideas for future themes or topics we can discuss on the show. Please feel free to leave a comment on the Frontline Innovators LinkedIn page with any thoughts you have. And a friendly reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful the only end-to-end -end systems training platform optimized for frontline operations. You can learn more about how you can solve your frontline systems training challenges by visiting skillful.com. Thank you, and I look forward to joining you on our next episode.